I was in Chicago a couple weeks ago and was warned of what's going on, that the end times are near us. The Cubs are, however, in the World Series. And either, either we were not assumed into the apocalypse, and if so, we have lots to pray, but I think it's not quite here yet, so because of that, you still uh, need to pray your prayers, need to attune your hearts uh, to scriptures, and so let us do that now. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that had to be, he had had to be sold to repay the debt. At this time, the servant fell on his knees. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found that one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred coins, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servants fell to, his, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. The master then called the servant in, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. May God add his blessing on our our reading and our understanding uh, of Holy Scripture. And will you join me in praying for your pastor that comes now? Uh, to share his interpretation of it. Oh, Lord God, as this man, our, our friend, our pastor, Keith, comes to proclaim, we know that every single one of us here comes with a huge debt to you. We owe you everything because you have given us all things. You have forgiven every repentant sinner of everything they've done wrong. So let us be in awe of your abundant forgiveness and mercy. Lord, the plague of our hearts is to forget what we have and to concentrate on what others owe us. So this morning, as Keith preaches and in the moments that follow it, please restore us, renew us, revive our minds and our hearts with the spirit of forgiveness. And be clear, Lord, as Pastor Keith has been clear to us, that forgiveness is not an optional activity for the Christian. And so let us be about that. Lord, we ask your blessing upon Pastor Keith as he comes to share with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before he gets to say a single word, I want to announce something that's of great joy to me anyway, and I pray you share it with me. Pastor Keith yesterday completed his fifth year of service along with us, so he begins his sixth year today. Let's welcome him. I don't know, almost two hours ago, we were sitting down here and getting ready to pray, and Pastor Mike said that to, to Vicki and Simon and myself, and I said, wow, I can't believe it's already been 
or Vicky says, I can't believe it's already been five years that Keith's been here. And without even taking a breath, Mike said, well, that's because you haven't sit in as many meetings with him as I have. <clears throat> but I appreciate that. <laughs> five, yeah, five years. Wow, I can't believe that. You know, when I came here, it was like right after I turned 25. And I was, I was, I just was, no, no, okay. I tried, I tried. Hey, uh, I want to just say one thing before I jump into this sermon. This is one of those sermons that you have to be very careful about when you're listening, okay? Do not fall asleep. That's number one. That goes with every sermon. But there's sometimes sermons where we have a temptation, I know I do anyway, to hear it and to think in your mind about who else should be listening to this. You ever do that? You ever hear a sermon and go, oh, man, I hope so-and-so's listening. And you maybe even elbow them a little bit. You hear that? That's for you, you know? Or, or you think to yourself, boy, I wish my, you know, my friend at home or my family member at home was here listening to this. Well, I do too, but don't miss out on what God has to say to you this morning. Because this is a sermon for each of us. In fact, that's the whole point of the sermon, is that this message about forgiveness is something that we each need to embrace and understand for ourselves, lest we find ourselves in the position that this wicked servant found himself in, which was not a good position. So, let's talk about this parable of the unforgiving servant, as it is called. And it's interesting how it's set up by Peter coming to Jesus and saying, how many times should I forgive my brother if he sins against me in a single day? Up to seven times? Now, why the number seven? Why does Peter just randomly pick the number seven? Well, the Jews believed at the time that it was righteous to forgive someone three times in a day if they sinned against you. And you know that these, these religious leaders were very uh, focused on the rules and the letter of the law. So you better believe that if it says you have to forgive three times, they weren't going to forgive four. It was three and that was it. Well, I think Peter here is asking about an elevated expectation of forgiveness for those who would follow Jesus. What does Jesus say? Is he going to take what they say even farther or what's his take on it? But Jesus, of course, takes it even further. And there's two truths I know about sin and about Jesus. And the first one is this. Sin always takes you further than you are prepared to go. And it always costs you more than you're willing to pay. Think about that for a moment. The next time you're tempted with sin and you believe, oh, it's just this much, or it's only this one time, or it's not that bad, or it won't really affect my life, no one's going to notice, or everyone else is doing, or whatever the justifying things that we say to ourselves before we give in to our temptations, recognize that sin is always going to make you go farther than you think you're going to go. And it's always going to cost you more than you're willing to pay. But here's the second truth. Jesus also takes you farther than you're prepared to go, but he gives you more than you can ever imagine. He'll take you farther than you want to go. Peter said, is it three or is it seven? And Jesus gives him this answer that's way beyond what Peter expected. But then he goes into the blessings that come from that. And those blessings are more than you ever could imagine. Now, Jesus earlier had explained 
to the disciples the process that you go through biblically when someone sins against you. He says if someone sins against you, if your brother or sister comes against you and they've sinned, go to that person, you know, just the two of you and and try to show them their fault and try to reconcile. If they don't listen to you, then what does it say to do? It says take another witness with you. Take a couple people with you. Go talk to them. And, and then, if, if they don't listen to the, to the two, then it says, take the matter to the church. And let the church speak into that situation. And if they will not listen even to the church, then you are to treat them as a pagan and a tax collector. You're, you're to, 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 to no longer understand that they are your brother or sister in the faith if they refuse to even listen to the church when it has spoken on something. Then... then you see a relationship is not what you thought it was. You see, so this is the process that he lays out, but what he doesn't lay out is how many times in a day should you do that? He doesn't say that. So Peter understood what Jesus was saying to do when someone sins against you. Peter understood that you were supposed to forgive, but he doesn't know how many times you're supposed to do that. Now, why would a person ask that question? Why would someone say, well, how many times do I have to do that? Well, there's two answers, I think, two reasons. The first one is because Peter probably, he, could have made sure, he wanted to make sure he was following Jesus perfectly. Or because he wanted to understand what it means to be a forgiver. Let me explain. It's a subtle difference that leads to a huge difference. And here's what it means. Is your goal, think about this. To do the right thing, the right number of times, or to be the right kind of person. You understand the difference? You see, one motivation comes from the desire to fulfill the letter of the law and to do what you're supposed to do perfectly. The other one comes from a desire to to not really even need the number because that's just who you become. And that's what Jesus is getting at. This is a huge truth if you want to understand the gospel. The question how many times could be motivated by a desire to do what God wants and no more. And that's, that's the person who does what is expected and then stops. And for the Jews, following God, of course, had become about keeping the rules and following the checklist. And it's easy for Christians to do the same thing, isn't it? It's easy for us to transition from this Jewish legalism into Christian legalism. And believe that, well, okay, Jesus said 77 times, or 70 times 7, depending on which translation that you read. So now do I need to, like, figure that out and do multiplication and go there? No, of course not. Jesus was saying that, and he was making a point. And his point was this. It's not about the number of times. It's about the state of your heart. That's what he's getting at. And you have to understand that to understand the gospel. We're not talking about a checklist. Jesus removes that. So how does he do it? This answer of 77 times or whatever is not meant to be another list. It's meant to show us that we can't keep this list perfectly, but rather we have to have our hearts transformed. What does it mean to be a forgiven or forgiving person? That's the real question. Not how many times do I have to forgive, but what does it mean to be a forgiving person? Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? It's crucial that you do. It's crucial that you do. 
You see, because it's possible to fulfill the checklist without ever really becoming a person with a forgiving heart. You can just be, all right, there's 54. Okay, 55. When we get to, you know, 77 times, you're done, buddy. That's it. So let's get this, let's get this over with. If you're going to sin against me, let's just get it going so I can forgive you like Jesus said, and then, then I can move on, right? That's not what Jesus is trying to get us after here. This isn't a willpower exercise. It's about recognizing what it means to become a forgiving person, a loving person. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that love keeps no records of wrongs. Jesus understands the connection between love and forgiveness. And you can't put a limit on love because it's not at its core a behavior, but rather a state of the heart. You know, sometimes my wife will ask me this impossible question. She'll say, I'll say to her, oh, I love you, honey. And then she'll ask me this question, how much? That's an impossible question to answer, isn't it, fellas? You ever been there, right? How much? Like, how do you answer that question and not get in trouble? So I've been thinking about that. I've been married 20 years this year. And I finally figured out the right answer, right? And here's what I've been doing. Maybe it's not the right answer, but it's what I've been doing. It's probably wrong. I just started, like, giving random numbers when she would ask me that. How much? I'd go, oh, honey, like, 87. 87? What does that mean? And I'm like, you don't know what 87 means? Let me tell you something. It's a lot. <laughs> she goes, okay. So that's what I've been doing. Let me tell you, if you're going to do that, it only works if the numbers get higher. Last week I answered 38. I was in trouble, right? 38! Last week it was 87. What happened? You know, it's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Because you can't put a number on something like that. You can't quantify that because it's not something that's achieved numerically. It's a state of the heart. Love at its core is a state of the heart. Hey, forgiveness is the same way. The two are, are connected Okay? Love keeps no records of wrongs. That's a verse about forgiveness. That's a verse about the list saying that you don't need one if you truly want to become a person with a transformed heart. And that's what Jesus came to do. He doesn't want us to become people who do godly things. He wants us to become godly people. Right? Big difference. Big difference. When your heart is transformed... You won't be counting how many times you have forgiven someone so you can stop. You'll just forgive. You'll just forgive. Now, when you look at this parable, a couple things that are interesting to me about it. This man who comes before Jesus, or this, this master, and, and he says, be patient with me. Be patient with me, and I will repay this debt. It, in this man's heart, he probably thinks if he works hard enough, Someday he'll probably be able to repay this debt. But let's be real, he can't pay it. It's too much. It's too much. And Jesus wants us to feel the weight of what that means to have too much. You ever feel that about yourself? You ever feel that about life? Some things are just too much. When you, when you think about your life and how you relate to God, 
you need to not be thinking about the rules. You need to be thinking about how big is your debt? How big is your debt? That's a, a, a crucial question to understanding what it means to be a forgiving person. Because if you're, like I said in the beginning of this talk, if you're thinking about what somebody else needs to be listening to and what somebody else should be hearing and you're elbowing your husband or your wife or your kids or, or your parents or whatever saying you should hear this, then, then you haven't understood your own debt. We, we each have to be thinking about how much we owe. Because how much we understand that we have been forgiven by God directly translates to our understanding of forgiveness of others. In Luke 7, there's a story, I'll read it to you. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman who lived in that town, who lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Many of you have heard this story. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50 Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. But whoever who has been forgiven much loves much. That's a powerful statement that Jesus makes there, isn't it? Now, do you think that the Pharisees had any less to be forgiven of than this woman? with all of their self-righteousness, with all of their pride, with, with treating Jesus as less than them even? Do you think they had any less to be forgiven of than this woman? Now, of course, they believe that. But what do you think? They would have never dreamed that they had as much to be forgiven as this woman. Now, Jesus' point wasn't that some have less sin than others. That wasn't his point. His point was that some act like they have less sin than others. His point was that some believe they have less sin than others. Jesus knew the sinful hearts of every one of those Pharisees. He knew everything they'd ever thought, everything they'd ever done. And you know what? They weren't so different than that woman. Perhaps they just lacked opportunity. 
Perhaps their sin just manifested itself in a different way. And let me tell you, they had as big a sin debt as that woman did, but they believed they didn't. And because they believed they didn't, their attitude toward everyone else and toward God was different. She believed that she was a great sinner. She didn't minimize what she did. She didn't hide what she did. She was ashamed and she acknowledged it. And when she saw the opportunity to express her love to Jesus, it came pouring out of her in a way that was the most beautiful thing we've seen. And because of that, Jesus was able to exalt her and to save her. You've got to start thinking about how big your debt is. You've got to start considering that. Because if you want to see your heart changed, if you want to see yourself become a person who by nature forgives, then you have to start realizing how much you have been forgiven. You just have to. And if you struggle with unforgiveness, if you struggle with holding grudges, if you struggle with keeping things against people, then maybe, maybe it's because you have yet to realize what you have been forgiven. Now, why is that a problem for us? Because let me say something. It is a problem for us. Why do we do that? Because most people think more about what they are owed and not what they have been forgiven. Most people are like that. You know, Mike and I and Vicki and others, we talk to people all the time who are really struggling in life over things that have been done to them. Right? There are people who have, who have let what has been done to them completely dictate their identity. And when we talk to them, they identify themselves as, I'm a victim of this, or, or I'm a survivor of that, or I've been through this, or this was done to me, or that was done to me. And I understand that. We talk to far less people who come in and say, I'm a mess because of what I've done. I'm a mess because of what I do. I'm a mess because of the sin in my life that, that I can't seem to get over and I need to repent of that. That's the righteous thing to do. But it's amazing to me how few conversations I have like that. But how many conversations I have about, well, I'm really having a hard time forgiving what somebody did to me. Now, I know that those things happen in this life. But why is it that we as human beings tend to focus much more on what's been done to us rather than on what we have done? It's the human condition. It's way easier to focus on what's been done to us because oftentimes we excuse our own sin, don't we? We think about what we've done, but the first thing out of our mouths is, well, it was because of this or it was because of that. You get that grade report, come to you on email or power school, that note from the teacher, you go confront your kid and the first thing, well, my teacher, the next two words are never, is awesome. 
It's always, well, but this and that. No, it didn't get put in correctly or something like. And we do the same thing as adults too. We, well, yeah, we're, we're bent out of shape about this or about that. But, but, you know, yeah, we've done this. But really, it's, we have an excuse. We have a reason. We have an explanation. We have all of these things that we can look at to, to, to minimize our own sin or excuse what we've done. But when it comes to what somebody else is doing or what they have done, we inflate that. We hang on to it. We dwell on it. We count offenses. And that's what this whole parable is about. Well, did you see what they did? How much do I have to be forgiven in order to be okay with God? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. If you really want to understand that, stop focusing on everybody else and their sin and be aware of your own. But often we are blind to it. That's why Jesus lays out these processes like when someone sins against you, have them come and confront you with it and show your fault. You know, we don't do that though. You see, if we don't, we're blind to our sin and that that can't continue. So if you're ready to take this parable to heart, then what you need to do is simply this, change your thinking, then change your doing. It's time to start thinking more about what God has forgiven you. It starts with how you think about it. Not so that you can feel badly. I'm not trying to make anyone feel ashamed or, or make someone feel guilty or, or push someone's sins in front of their face and, and, and rub their nose in it. That's, what, that's not what this is about. Remember, this is, a, this is a parable about being forgiven. It's about being forgiven. But if we're not real about what we've been forgiven from, and I mean that, that God has forgiven us, Therefore, we don't have to feel badly about it anymore. We don't have to beat ourselves up about it anymore. It's been done, but we should still be grateful for it. Then this becomes practical. You don't think about this so that you can feel badly, but so that you can become more merciful. Jesus doesn't give us this parable for any other reason than this. He wants us to become forgivers. But maybe this is really hard for you. Maybe it has been because you've been trying to forgive, but you're still hung up on how many times and this feeling that you're superior to the person that you need to forgive. Tim Keller put it this way. It's impossible to, forgive, to refuse to forgive someone without feeling superior to them. Now think about that. You know that feeling superior to other people's is wrong, right? That it's a sin. And as long as you hold a grudge against someone and refuse to forgive them, that's exactly what you're doing. You're holding them underneath you. You're saying, I would never do that. We can recognize that as sin. So it's time. It's time for you to, for real, to, to forgive for real. So how do you do it? Well, look at this parable. What, is the, what does the owner do in the parable? It says he releases the debt. That's what he does. Now, that's more than what was being asked of him, isn't it? When the, when the servant came, he said, have patience with me and I will pay this debt. I'll pay you back what I owe if you have patience. But what does it say that the master did? He didn't say, all right, you got another year. We'll come to some sort of agreement on what you can do and what I can do. We'll cooperate. We'll figure this out. We'll make you work for it, but it'll be okay. No, he just simply cancels the debt. It's gone. 
It doesn't exist anymore. That's what real forgiveness is. And that's what you need to do. You need to release the debt. Now understand what that means. To release the debt does not deny that the debt exists. It does not deny that a wrong was done. Too often times we, we, we don't understand forgiveness. When someone asks us for forgiveness, we say things like this. Oh, don't worry about it. It's okay. You ever do that? When someone sins against you? And I'm not talking about, you know, they made a mistake and, and, and whatever, and, it's, and it's, really, it's really okay. I'm talking about when they've done something that hurts you, when they've sinned against you, when there has been a violation against you, and they've come to you and said, I, I apologize for that. That's not the moment where you go, eh, it's okay, because it's not okay. Don't worry about it. No big deal. No, it is a big deal. Real forgiveness acknowledges the debt. Real forgiveness acknowledges the sin and it acknowledges that there is a debt that must be paid. But real forgiveness means that the person who is doing the forgiving pays that debt. They absorb that debt. Where do we get a crazy idea like that? Jesus doesn't just, oh, don't worry about it, it's okay. He pays the debt. You know, you ever talk to an atheist who says, well, I don't understand the whole cross thing. Why couldn't Jesus just go, oh, all right, no more sin? Why did he have to die on a cross? Why did he have to, to, why did God have to kill his own son on the cross in order to forgive sin? I mean, isn't that barbaric? Isn't that diabolical? Isn't that, you know, just ridiculous? The reason why he did that was because of the debt. Because the debt was so great. It's interesting to me how people who want to act like God should just snap his fingers and all the sin of the world could be forgiven. Those are some of the most unforgiving people I've ever met in my life who require blood because you've offended them on Facebook. Who, who, who refuse to, to, to have relationship with anyone who isn't exactly like them in every way. Why can't they just snap their fingers and forgive the debt? See, it's not so easy, is it? The debt of the world for sin is death. That's what the Bible clearly says. And that debt for you and for me was released. For you to be a forgiver, you have to learn how to release debt too. You know what that means? That means when you forgive someone, you let it go. Now we say that all the time. Some people even sing that all the time. But we've got to start doing it. We've got to stop holding things over people's heads. We've got to stop counting the wrongs done against us. We've got to stop requiring repayment for sins. We've got to stop believing that we have the right to be hurt all the time. Well, you don't know what they did. Well, I don't. But let it go. But I still feel so bad. I still hurt so much. Let it go. And maybe the way you feel will change too. I just bet that it will. This is incredibly practical. If you need to have that conversation today, then go have that conversation. If you need to write a letter to somebody, then write a letter to somebody. If you need to, to, to make things right with someone, then do it. Whatever you do, do it. Stop requiring payment. Stop punishing. Give up that right to be angry and hurt. That's what it means to release the debt. And don't believe that you've forgiven somebody if you haven't done that yet. Don't believe, oh, I've forgiven you. 
but I'm still going to hold you at arm's length. I'm still going to treat you according to your sin. And I'm still going to be really mad at you half the time, but I've forgiven you. No, it doesn't work that way. Last thing I'm going to say about this. For those of us that think that this is for advanced Christianity. Once you've got out of disciple one and disciple two, and you're farther down the pathway or wherever you're going, recognize this. Forgiveness is not optional for Christians. This is not something that you do when you have really arrived in your faith. This is not something that you do when, when like, you know, you've really become spiritual. This is to happen in the beginning, people. This is the gateway to your Christianity. Not something that happens on your deathbed or when you finally feel better. Forgiveness is the direct result of genuine faith, Jesus said. In Matthew 6, 14 and 15, you've read this. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. It's that simple. Jesus makes it black and white. He says if you want to be a Christian and you want to be forgiven of your sins, then you have to forgive. He even says when you come to the altar to, to, you know, leave your gift to make a sacrifice. He says, if you remember there's an issue with somebody, go, leave your gift, make it right, then come back. This is at the beginning of your faith. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You want to be a Christian? You want to follow Jesus? You want to have him forgive your sins and save your soul and have eternal life with him? Then forgive sins. <clears throat> forgive those have sinned against you. We say it every week when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Do you want to be blessed with mercy? Then be merciful. Notice he doesn't say do merciful things. He says be merciful. If you want to follow Jesus and his teaching on forgiveness, then you have to understand that this is not optional. To be saved requires God's mercy extended to you. And it also requires your heart, that your heart extends mercy toward others. Because a forgiven person forgives. Not because they have a list of religious do's and don'ts, but because they have a heart transformed by the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today, Lord, I pray that we would relate to you as that servant who's been shown mercy for a debt that we could not pay. God, let us take no other position in our faith And in our role with you, let us never believe that we are over others. God, let us become forgivers. Let us become people who are merciful, who recognize that the love that we have for you is so great, and therefore the forgiveness that we have for others is equally as great. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.